day. It's a special day to do both those things at the same time, the same day, the same morning as we worship. So let's get ready to worship even further right now in the Word. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, to the Gospel according to Mark, and we will begin our time in the Word. It's a new series we're starting this week leading up to Vacation Bible School. In fact, we uh, have kind of paired these things up together well. If you uh, are working with Vacation Bible School this year with us, you will notice that our series of studies that we're doing with our children are about encounters with Jesus. We're going to talk about encountering Jesus at the temple, encountering Jesus at the river when he's baptized. We're going to talk about other encounters with Jesus. And so I thought it fitting for us as the adults and children today to start off a series getting ready for VBS, not that we haven't been already doing that, but continuing to do that as it approaches, that we would have a series called Close Encounters, Face-to-Face with Jesus. And we're going to start today in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 and on, a story that you've probably heard as the rich young ruler or the rich young man. Uh, It was called the rich young ruler because of some terminology in one of the accounts. This story is such a big story in the Gospels. It's actually recorded in three of the Gospels. And as we believe as a Baptist church, as a Christian faith family, that God has delivered these words in Scripture to us. This is self-revelation. We know that that means that all the things he puts in here are important. They're not just written of man, but the Holy Spirit has inspired every word of these scriptures. We believe every word was chosen on purpose. And so the fact that three different authors that God moved in to talk about this one moment in Jesus' life means it's very important for us to understand and to, to learn about today. Uh, before we get into it, though, as you're turning there to Mark chapter 10, I want you to think for a moment also about what this weekend is. Uh, anybody remember what this weekend is? Thank you. Memorial Day, yes. It's a big day for our country. It's a big day for the world, actually. Uh, This day has been celebrated under different names. In fact, it was called Decoration Day back when it first began. It's a day where we often will celebrate veterans who are actively serving, but the day itself is to celebrate those and to thank those and to remember and, and, and be memorializing, in a sense, as a country, those who have sacrificed their lives for our country, going all the way back to the Civil War. And so what I want to do as we start off to remember that sacrifice is I like to pray for the families who have lost loved ones, uh, who have folks in their families who have given their lives in order for us to be here to worship freely today without worry or persecution, and that we would also carry that further and pray for those who are serving now or who have served that are in our faith family. And so can we take a moment, and I know a lot of folks don't like to do this, but if you would, if you've served in the armed forces and and you're a part of this faith family or you're here today, would you mind standing up so we can see you? Remain, Remain standing, remain standing. Um, I want to ask you to, just to look around and see these folks, and I want you to pray over them. Would you remain standing just for a moment while we pray together? I'll pray out loud, you pray quietly, and then remember them as we pray throughout this week, as we celebrate uh, this very important day in our nation. Father, we thank you so very much that you have shown us what it means to sacrifice by giving us loved ones who are willing to pay the ultimate price so that we might know you and worship you freely. Lord, we thank you for those that have gone before us who have given their lives for this country. And we thank you for those who are serving amongst us now and who have served, who are still with us, for their willingness to give their lives for our country as well. Lord, I pray that you would bless the families of those who have lost folks who serve us. 
And I pray that you would bless these men and women who have served us and gone through things that we probably will never hear about or understand that they have done because they love us as a nation and they love us as a faith family. So Lord, we thank you for them. We pray that you would bless them and that you would help us to remember them and to celebrate them this week. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. We're going to continue this, but we look at this story because this story is about sacrifice as well. And I think most of us would probably not remember that too much as we look at this story because we remember it growing up. If you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard about this story. I want you to look at it with fresh eyes today because I think that many of us, if we're not careful, could actually uh, think we understand what's going on here and miss a few things. Let's not be that way. If we do that, we might be more like this rich young man than we suppose. And so what I want to do is talk about the sacrifice that is demonstrated in this story of where this real person goes to Jesus to find out how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus gives some encountering time with him that kind of surprises us, if we're being honest, because we expect different answers from the one who is being asked. And so as Jesus answers this guy's question, I think we're going to learn a lot. Let's look at the text together. We're going to read right now just verses 17 through 22. We'll cover the rest of the passage uh, later on in our time together. But let's look at Mark 10, verses 17 and on. And as he was setting out on his journey, talking about Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, please give us insight, open our minds and our hearts to the truth that you're trying to tell us today from your word. I pray that you would impact us and change us from the inside out, that we might give you all the glory, and that we might be shaped more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, so we might know you and love you and enjoy you more. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin this task, we need to understand a little bit about who this guy is. It's easy for us to jump into a story that we kind of know, or we read this and we think, man, this guy, he should have got it. He didn't get it, right? It's real easy for us to do that with things that we read in the scriptures. It's easy for us to look on others and think about them in such a way that, man, if they would just think this way, if they'd have just thought like I think, everything would be all right. But let's look at this guy for a minute and say, what's really wrong with this guy? In fact, you might ask, what's right with this guy? I want to cover a few things just to, off the cuff to say some things he's doing right so we cannot be quite so dismissive of him. Uh, first things, look back at this. Let's read the few, first few verses together. Look at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Look at the things that we see here. First of all, these are things that are right with him, right? He's looking for the way to eternal life. And what does he do? He runs up to Jesus and kneels down before him. He runs up to the one who has the answer. He runs up to the right person. He goes to Jesus. 
We want to fault this guy for not knowing how to do things, but look at where he's going. He's running straight to the one who does have the answers. He goes straight to Jesus. He runs to him. And we see that he also lives out a morally excellent life. He goes through all these things. He says to him, teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Because he called him good teacher. He said, no one's good except God alone. And he says, you know the commandments. Listen to him. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. Now, the implication from him being called a ruler in another one of these texts comes from the idea that he might have been one of the leaders of the Jewish faith, a young guy, kind of like Paul was before being converted later on. And that this guy is coming to him because he knows all the right things. He's a young guy. He's a model of morality. He says he's adhered to all the rules in the Old Testament. He said, I've done all these things since I was a little kid. I've done all this stuff. He lived out an excellently moral life. Many of us can't say that. This guy can say that, it seems like. In fact, Jesus doesn't even correct him on those things. We don't see him give any correction for what he said he has done. We also know this guy knew the Bible, and he was very religious, right? He knows these things. He's, a, he's adhered to all these things. Outwardly, he's a very religious guy. We would pass him in the hall and think, man, that guy's the guy I want to be when I grow up, right? He's the guy I want to be if I want to look more like Jesus. He's the guy I want to be if I want to be a better church person, if I want to be a deacon or a leader in the church. He's that guy. And he earnestly desired to go to heaven, it looks like. Some commentators will talk about how he was a hypocrite, and I, I just, I think this guy, more than anything, just doesn't understand where he is. He doesn't really see himself, and I think most of us could say we've been there and probably are there even now in some ways. But he earnestly desired to go to heaven. He runs straight up to Jesus, and he asks, the first thing he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a question all of us have asked at some point in our life, right? In fact, we might ask ourselves that over and over again. How do we get to be with God forever? How are we going to make it? How do we get in? He also demonstrated a great reverence for Jesus. When he ran up to him, he knelt down before him and asked him, how do I get in? Obviously, you know. You're a good teacher. And that word good, by the way, was one that was not credited to teachers often. It was one that was credited to God alone. That's what Jesus talks about there. He also demonstrated a laudable sincerity, I think. He's very sincere. I don't see anything in here that looks like he's not sincere. Look at it again. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying. You see that? He's disheartened. He really wanted to get there. He really wanted to have what he's asking for. He's not running away from this because he was being facetious or because he was being insincere. He's disheartened by what Jesus said, and he goes away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I believe he's a sincere guy. It looks like that in Scripture. And he demonstrated great zeal for his religion. He's adhered to all the rules. He's running up to Jesus. He's not just kind of walking by in the midst. He's running up to him. He's, a, he's submitting to everything that's been told he needs to do. Like many of us, we've grown up and heard, do this, don't do that, right? Don't run down the halls as a kid. Make sure you go to Sunday school, bring your Bible, do all the things you're supposed to do, read the Bible, pray. He's done all those things. 
And he even demonstrated a willingness to do whatever was required of him by God. When he first came, he's saying, whatever it is, but he's kneeling down, saying, what do I need to do? Just tell me what I need to do. But in the end, we see that he lacked one thing, a willingness to give it all for God's glory. A willingness to give it all for God's glory. Verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I'm going to say something right now that at first may hit you kind of wrong. So I want you to listen, and I want you to take in this phrasing about sacrifice. I'm not saying this to belittle sacrifice. I'm saying it to put it in the right perspective of sacrifice. I think most of us in here that have had some kind of real sacrifice for something greater than ourselves have experienced that in our families or in our own lives. We would be able to to echo this statement once we understand it here. Listen to this statement. Here's what I'm going to say about sacrifice, that sacrificing anything for a greater thing is no real sacrifice at all. Sacrificing anything for a greater thing is no real sacrifice at all. So I'm going to tell you just to give it all for Jesus, for God's glory, and follow Jesus. Sacrificing anything for a greater thing is no real sacrifice at all. So we need to give it all for God and follow Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's how I'm going to let you understand this text today is I think it's saying this at its core Look, a huge part of this one thing that this guy lacked includes his lack of self-awareness. Includes his lack of self-awareness. He thought he was good. He thought he was good. Jesus saw that right to the heart. Jesus does this often. When somebody will come to him and say something, he will not answer the question directly. He'll answer the question the person should have been asking, or he'll say something the person should be wanting to understand. And here we see Jesus doing the exact same thing. Go back and look, verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we see this little excursus. It's not really a part of the rest of it. It doesn't seem at first. But Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We see that word good repeated three times right there. And right then he goes into verse 19, you know the commandments. He's now back into what he's telling this guy to do. And he tells him a list of commandments. And the guy says in verse 20, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. You see, he's missed the point of what we see all throughout, even the Old Testament. It's a little harder to see, but it's there. That just because you adhere to the outward rules doesn't mean that you are living in such a way that God receives glory in your life. And Jesus took that a step further when he talked about it in ways like, hey, if, if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed murder. Or if you have lusted after someone in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So we know he takes that to a new level and says it's not just the outward things, it's the inward things. We need to understand that we really are in need. In fact, the same thing goes on in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 31 and 32, we see the people of God that are on Ezekiel's team, they're with him. They hear God speaking through the prophet to those that need to be kind of dealt with by God. And Ezekiel pauses in the middle of it under God's direction, and he speaks to those people. So they think they're okay. They think, hey, we're good. These other folks are kind of messing it up. And this is what he says to them. 
He says, as they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. They hear what you say, prophet, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. He's basically saying, you, your people that are listening to you right now, most of these folks around you, even the ones that are lauding your praise right now, they're coming to be entertained to see what's in it for them, to see how they can have the best things, how they can have the good stuff, how they can be entertained and, and feel good about themselves. He says, they're not going to do what you're telling them to do. And this guy, he's trying to do everything he can do, it seems like. He's living by the rules. He's doing all he should do. In fact, in his day, if you were doing all that stuff, oftentimes they had their own version of prosperity gospel among the Pharisees and scribes. The folks who did the best ended up being the richest people. So he's thinking, there's nothing wrong with my having things. In fact, Philippians 3, 6, and 7, we see Paul talking about himself in a similar way, that he was blameless. As to zeal, he says, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I did it all right, Paul said. But then he goes on and says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You see, when you meet Jesus face to face, things get real, real, real fast. When you meet him face to face and you really see him for who he is, you begin to recognize your need for him. When you begin to see him for who he is and his glorious grandeur and his humility, of becoming like one of us, you begin to see real fast that he has something that we need, that we aren't who we should be, that we are not living up to the standard, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, and that he alone holds the bar, living up to that glory. See, this guy thought that he could even do something to earn eternal life. Look at the question, verse 18, that's verse 17. He says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And many of us can walk around saying, look what I've done. It, it, how do you know you do this? Listen, you may not think you do this, but we do this often. I do it too. We look at people and we think, man, if they would just get to Jesus, their life would be better. If they would just turn to the Lord, things would be different. If they would just go to him and just go to church, everything would be different. And those things are true, but how do you think they get there? How do you think we got here? It's because the Lord has beckoned us to come to him. And he has worked in our heart and given us a heart from stone to flesh and made us alive to believe in him. And so we have nothing that we have not been given as a gift of the Lord. And these people that we're talking about, this guy right here, he's yearning to find his way to a good place when life comes to an end, to eternal life. And he's asking, can I do something? The problem is, here's the problem, not that he didn't do the rules outwardly, not that he wasn't religious, not that he wasn't zealous, not that he wasn't trying hard, not that he wasn't sincere, like many of us are all these things often. The real problem was that he held his possessions higher in his heart than he held his God. He held his possessions higher in his heart than he held his God. Whole churches are in trouble for this in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3, 14 and on. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these words, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He speaks to the church. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. 
would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and either hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, our problem is that we have a lack of self-awareness all too often, and we don't recognize our ongoing need for forgiveness, for the depths of our sinfulness that emanates out of our own hearts. That we create idols that we have to have, that we put our hope in continually. Maybe your hope is put in how your kids are going to turn out. Maybe your hope is put in how your career is going to take the next step. Maybe your hope is put in what power you're going to have in any position, whether in your career, in the church, or in your family. Maybe your hope is put into a, a place where money is going to solve the problem. If you just get the next raise, if you just get the next thing, or maybe the toys that you're seeking after, those things will give you the joy that you want and need. Those things will take over with it without you even noticing it. They take over our lives, our yearning for them, our craving for them. And we go to those things to find relief. I say it too often, but it's still true. Like our Netflix binges, right? The things we eat, the things we drink, the things that we enjoy. They're not bad in of themselves most of the time, but they can become bad things when we elevate them to find our hope. And that's where we run to. And that's what he's run to. And Jesus sees right through it and speaks right to it when he says these words, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. In fact, the only real big words in here that are commandments are right here in this one verse where he says these commands, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. Now, we've heard this before. And oftentimes we can say to ourselves, well, he's just telling that guy to sell everything. And you're right. He is telling that guy to sell everything. And he's telling that guy to do something in a particular time, in a particular life, for a particular person, to respond in obedience to a particular command of God. But if in our hearts we then are saying to ourselves, whew, I'm glad he's not telling me that. Maybe that could be a cue to ourselves that we need to wonder and ask the Lord if we're holding on too close to those things as well. Because there is something in our hearts, something in our lives that's creeping in to take that glory from the Lord. We need to ask the Lord to reveal it to us and we need to let go of it to Him. Whatever He leads us to do. And you may say, I've never had God lead me to do anything. Well, then we need to get a little closer to Him. We need to seek and pray and ask, God, you want something from me because you love me too much to leave me where I am. So what would you like? And then we read scripture and then we have friends around us that speak into our lives in our small groups, in our Sunday school classes. We do that with other friends we meet with on Thursday mornings or Monday mornings or, or Tuesday nights, wherever we are, that it will help push us towards becoming like Jesus. And we listen to what God says through his word, that's our guardrails, by his spirit moving in us on particular things that are confirmed in our time of prayer with the Lord, that's also confirmed with the people around us, and then we respond in obedience to those things. And that's how we become more like the Lord. Look, this guy's problem was a belief problem that led to an action problem. He did not really believe that God was calling him to surrender everything. It was a belief problem that led to an action problem. He didn't really understand and believe that God demands our all. And so he responded by giving everything that was in a particular rule book, but not in giving himself completely over in whatever ways the Lord wanted him to do it. And Jesus saw through and spoke to him. And man, 
He did it out of love. Look at this. Go back and look at these verses with me. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. He sees right into that guy's heart. I've done all these things, Lord. Sincerity, I believe. He's, I've done it all. These, I've done all this stuff. That's, I've got that. Yes, I've, is that what it takes? Is that all it takes? Look what it says, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him. Before he ever said a word to him, he loved him. Because he loved him, he said what this man needed to hear that was hard to hear. Because he loved him, he stepped out and said what needed to be said so this man could then love him back in a way that would bring him into eternal life. He loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus looks at all of us sinners with love and he beckons us to give it all up and to come and follow Jesus. He wants our everything. He doesn't just want our possessions. He doesn't just want our toys. He doesn't just want our homes, which he will use all those things. They're not even ours, they're his. He wants all those things, yes, but he wants us to want him above everything else because that is what's best for us and what gives us the most joy in our lives. He wants what is best for us, so he beckons us to follow him. And he speaks to our hearts right where we are because that's what we need to hear, to let go of things so we'll understand his love and grace and mercy for us even more. In fact, Jesus demonstrates this in Matthew 23, verse 37. He cries out over the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Church, brothers, sisters, let us not be unwilling. Let us not be unwilling to go under the wings of the Lord. Let us not be unwilling to lay aside whatever it is we need to lay down for him, to give over to him whatever he calls us to give. Let us not be unwilling to come to him when he beckons. He is calling us right now, faith family. He is speaking to each one of us through his word right now by his Holy Spirit in our hearts. And if we're not hearing it, it's because it's falling on deaf ears. What do we need to let go of? What are we holding above him? If we don't hear it, let us cry out to him until he reveals it to our hearts our minds. And there is no one better to look to than Jesus to understand what a real sacrifice is. Nobody. Jesus, the only Son of God, who is both fully man and fully God, who's worth more than all of creation combined, as we've talked about over and over again. This Jesus gave his life, who's worth more than everything, right? Gave his life in order to gain that which is not as valuable as he is. Do we understand? That's real sacrifice. Sacrifice, it's not really a sacrifice if you give something up to get something greater. Do you understand? But he gave his own life that's worth more than everything put together so that he could gather to himself those of us who would be his who all together are less valuable than him. He sacrificed his life. That's a true sacrifice. The only person that's ever given that kind of sacrifice. He alone has sacrificed everything for lesser things, namely you and me. 
so that we might become his brothers and sisters, so that we might inherit eternal life, so that we can be with him forever and ever and ever. He's demonstrated sacrifice beyond understanding for us. We cannot fully understand. This is the very definition of real sacrifice. Listen, Romans 5, 6 through 8, it talks about it for us. It makes it clear for us. Write that down if you're writing any other passages down. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do we we see the biggest idea of sacrifice that could possibly be shown to us that the one who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous, who is always good, who's always been right, who has always been the, the best, who's always been the most good and righteous and glorious and perfect, gave his life for us, a bunch of imperfect folks who always fail to meet the measure that God has set forth so that we can be brought into his family. That's a glorious sacrifice. That he loves us so much that he would give himself for us. Like he looks at this guy and he says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, give this up and come follow me. And I believe he's telling us that today. Give that up and come and follow me. Whatever it takes. Jesus gave his all to gain you and me, so let us give our all to gain him. Anything you have, anything I have is only ours for a season except God. We can have him forever. Everything and everyone belongs to him. It's only been given to you or to me to steward it for the glory of God. It's not even really ours. It's his. They're not even really our people. They're his people. So let's give it all for God and follow Jesus. Timothy Keller says, the heart of the gospel is all about giving up power, pouring out resources, and serving. The center of Christianity is always migrating away from power and wealth. Whenever you see it all over the world, it's always migrating away from power and wealth. Do you see where Christianity is migrating away from right now? It's us, the wealthiest country in the world. We're becoming more and more and more anti-Christian and less and less people that proclaim themselves as Christian. It's migrating to places where there is not wealth, like China and Africa and South America. That's where Christianity is booming right now. It always migrates to those places because it's just like they say in here that it's almost impossible for a rich man to make it to heaven. So why is... The Lord asking this, and what is he asking you to sacrifice today? Maybe the money he's given you to steward. You think, why are we going to pick on money? Well, because Jesus picks on money. In fact, go back and look at the passage with me, okay? We're going to carry it further. He tells this guy in verse 21, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And you may say, well, okay, that guy got it. Jesus makes a sweepingly large statement right behind it. Keep going. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. 
But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Look, what he's saying here is that many people will not probably make it in because of their wealth. Some people have tried to come up with this idea about how to make this a little easier to swallow. And they say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I actually heard it in seminary where a professor made the argument that there was a small gate in the wall of Jerusalem that was so small that camels had to dip down to go in. And they called that the eye of the needle for camels to go through. There's, there's nothing that really backs that up in history. We can try to belittle this all we want to, but it's here, and it's real. He makes it very clear, because right before that, he says it's easier, he says, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. He says before that, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And people respond, his own disciples, they respond by this thing, then who can be saved? They understood, they get it, that's impossible. And he says, no, no, no. It's not impossible. All things are possible with God. So yes, can a wealthy man make it into the kingdom? Yes, because it's possible with God. Someone who's totally given over and says, it's yours. I'll do whatever you want. It's all yours. I give it away if you want me to. Just tell me where to put it because it's your money. And I'll serve you and love you in that way. Maybe that's what he's saying for you today. Maybe he's saying things like he does in Matthew 6. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, either your treasure is the Lord or it's your treasure. It cannot be both. In fact, he goes on and says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. We cannot do it. Listen, sacrificing anything for a greater thing is no real sacrifice at all. So to sacrifice our money, to give it to the church, to expand it around the world, to give it to the needy, to help them out, to serve those who are in in need, in a way with these funds that God has given us to steward, in other words, to to give away as he deems fit, to spend on things he deems fit, we should all be praying, Lord, how do you want me to spend your money? Not, hey, I'm going to do 10% to the church because that's what it's telling me to do in the Old Testament. The New Testament says you do as the Lord leads you. Do it happily and cheerfully. But be obedient. So what about our possessions, our career, our house, our toys, our spouse, our children? Whatever it is he's given you, it's his. Let's ask him how he wants to spend it. Spend your home on caring for the community. Open your home to care for those who need to know Jesus. Use your toys to reach people who have similar toys. Use your family in a good, healthy way to say, I love you, but Jesus loves you more. And if he calls you to go to Timbuktu, 
we will send you to Timbuktu. If he calls you to go to Atlanta, we will send you to Atlanta. If he calls you to stay right here in Rainbow City, we will pray over you to be a missionary right here in Rainbow City because our lives are not our own. They are given over to the glory of God because he's worth it. Sacrificing anything for a greater thing is no real sacrifice. Listen, Hudson Taylor was a Christian missionary to China for 51 years in the latter half of the 1800s. A historian, Ruth Tucker, summarizes the theme of his life by saying, no other missionary in the 19th century since the Apostle Paul has had a wider vision and has carried out a more systematized plan for evangelizing a broad geographical area than Hudson Taylor. It's purported that he saw 18,000 people through his ministry come to faith. In 1860, Taylor said, if I had a thousand pounds, China should have it. If I had a thousand lives, China should have them. No, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for him? Can we do enough for a precious Savior? And toward the end of his life, while reflecting on all those years, after leaving everything he knew in Britain to take the gospel of Jesus to China, he remarked, I never made a sacrifice. He got it. Sacrificing anything for a greater thing is no real sacrifice at all. So give it all for God and follow Jesus.